Hi there. This is Sam Musgrave, pastor over college and young adult ministry at Trinity Community Church. This podcast is a collection of the sermons from our gatherings. My prayer is that you will grow in knowledge and love for King Jesus, or maybe come to faith in him for the very first time. Join me now for this sermon. been amazing to see God's sovereign hand throughout this book and the life of Esther. Ladies, if this doesn't give you a biblical role model, then I'm not sure what will. Esther is quite the gal, and the book is just getting started. There's so much more to come. Esther is making moves. And she will be effective all the while remaining humble and respectful of her husband, the king. I want us to be very mindful of what else is going on here because we might get so hyper-focused on the human players in Esther that we forget about the spiritual warfare happening alongside this. The book of Esther reveals a look behind the curtains of Satan fighting against the purposes of God and of Christ, the promised Messiah. It's amazing what happens when we begin to read Scripture without actively reading ourselves into it. Our natural bend is to make ourselves to be the main character. My friend, you are not the main character. You're not even the main character of your own life. Stop trying to make yourself the main character of God's word, which was written thousands of years ago. We see here in Esther that even she isn't the main character of the book that she has named after her. As we read, I want you to actively be reminding yourself that Christ is the main character of the Bible. He's the main character from Genesis to Revelation and everything in between. With that being said, would you all open your Bibles with me to Esther chapter 4 and stand as we read it. Now Mordecai came to know of all that had been done, and he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and went out into the midst of the city and cried out loudly and bitterly. And went out as far as the king's gate, for no one was to enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth. Now in each and every province where the word and law of the king reached, there was great mourning among the Jews, with fasting, weeping, and wailing. And many made their bed in sackcloth and ashes. Then Esther's young women and her eunuchs came and told her, and the queen writhed in great anguish. And she sent garments to clothe Mordecai and to remove his sackcloth from upon him, but he did not accept them. Then Esther summoned uh, Hephach from the king's eunuchs, whom the king had appointed to attend her, and commanded him to go to Mordecai to know what this was and why it was. So Hephach went out to Mordecai to the city square in front of the king's gate. And Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the exact amount of silver that Haman had promised to pay to the king's treasuries to cause 
the Jews to perish. He also gave them a copy of the written law which had been given in Susa for their destruction in order to show Esther and to tell her and to command her to go into the king to implore his favor and to seek him out for her people. Then Hathak came back and told Mordecai's words to Esther. Esther spoke to Hathak and commanded him to reply to Mordecai, All the king's servants and all the people of the king's provinces know that for any man or woman who comes to the king, to the inner court, who is not summoned, he has but one law, that he be put to death. Unless the king holds out to him the golden scepter so that he may live. And I have not been summoned to come to the king for these 30 days. So they told Esther's words to Mordecai. And Mordecai said for them to respond to Esther, Do not imagine that you and the king's house can escape any more than all the Jews. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. And you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not reached royalty for such a time as this. Then Esther said for them to respond to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews who are found in Susa. Fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women also will fast in the same way. And thus I will go into the king, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and did just as Esther had commanded him. This is the word of God. Let us treat it as such. Pray with me. Father, you are eternal, immortal, infinite. You are immutable, reliable, and trustworthy. You are incomparable, unequaled, and perfect. You are just, all-powerful, omnipresent, and omniscient. You are sovereign. You are holy. You are one. We lay prostrate at your feet, confessing our sin to you. We dare not hide from it, Lord. We dare not diminish what Christ laid on the cross to atone for. Forgive us. Forgive us for looking into your eyes and choosing to rebel against you, the only one who loves us unconditionally. How wretched we are, how wicked we are, how unfair, selfish, and self-absorbed we are. Lord, we beg you to do the work that you promised that you would do. We beg you to change us. And would you do it tonight? Let not us leave here the same as when we walked in. Sanctify us. Wash us with your word. If there are hearts of stone here, then replace them with hearts of flesh. If there are those who are hurt here tonight, would you comfort them with the soothing balm of your word? If there are unrepentant sons and daughters, would you loosen their grips on the things of this world and make them latch on to you and your promises? Bend us back to yourself, Father. May we count all these things to be lost because of the surpassing value of knowing your Son, Christ Jesus, our Lord, for whom we have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that we may gain Christ. We love you because you first loved us. 
And we pray all of these things according to your sovereign grace. Amen. Have a seat. So a quick recap to freshen our minds as we begin to read. Haman wants to obliterate the Jews. We're talking full-on genocide, full-on cowabunga, good night forever to all Jewish folk. A quick story I want to tell you from high school. Archaic. For those of you who don't know, I spent my high school years in the Philippines. And by God's grace, the Philippines has what I would consider um, a very American stance on fireworks. In that I believe they want each man, woman, and child to have access to explosives uh, that could very easily and effectively be used in warfare. Firework season in the Philippines is Christmas and New Year. You start seeing the stands pop up uh, in the first week of December, and they disappear by January 3rd. So, one fine evening, I was on Christmas break. It's a junior year. And me and my buddies stopped by the local purveyor in fine, uh, made-in-someone's-garage fireworks. At this point in the game, this man was like a brother to me. It was like the movies uh, where the guy walks in and, and gives the secret nod, and the guy behind the counter presses the button, and the metal covers fall over the windows, the doors lock, the walls flip around to display uh, something that's very cool, but also typically very illegal. I lived it. I was there. And on that night, we wanted something different. We wanted something outside of our normal fare. And we made this request known to him. He quietly stood, brushing a few grains of rice from his shirt, and motioned to follow him. He led us to a secret room under his house where he stored the good stuff. Everything you could dream of, fireworks speaking, was down there. And our eyes glistened with the ecstasy only dangerous uses of gunpowder could achieve. (laughs) He turned around, holding what could have been a newborn child at that point, I wasn't sure, but was actually the largest firework I'd ever seen. Now, uh, I'm 32. I wager I was 16 or 17 when this happened. So factoring in the compounding growth Uh, of the fish, proverbial fish. I'd say it was about 2% a year. Um, I'm going to go with this thing was a triangle, okay? That was probably 15 inches long, 12 inches high, and about 2.5 inches thick. All it was was black gunpowder and white phosphorus wrapped tightly in some type of paper to form what he called Goodnight Philippines. I, I actually believed that I blacked out, as I have no recollection of what happened after he showed it to me. The next thing I remember, I was riding my motorcycle down the street with it under my left arm, two of my buddies on the back, and I knew exactly what to do with this thing. I was going to stick this bad boy in the base of a banana tree in front of the house of the girl that I had the hots for. Mary Bogosian. She was a senior. I I think I was a sophomore. I was a sophomore, and I figured this was the way to her heart. 
So a banana tree is what we'd have if celery was uh, pumping HGH and TRT, okay? They are extremely fibrous, full of water. They, they start at, at a thick base and then kind of branch out maybe three-quarters of the way up. So we found the thickest boy we could, okay? I'd say the base was roughly 12 to 15 inches in diameter. We wedge, goodbye Philippines, at the manifold of the tree. Fray the fuse to give us a few extra moments to get clear of this thing. Thank you, Lord. And we light it. My memory of running is like those war movies where guys get shell-shocked and their vision pulsates with each heartbeat as bodies were just... I didn't know. I jump on my motorcycle, two of my buddies get on the back, and we rip out of there. We got clear of the house a good ways, stopped the bike, and we waited. And waited. And waited. To the point where we thought the fuse had gone out. Then as though the seventh seal had been broken and the trumpets of angels blew forth an explosion occurred like I'd never known before or since. All of a sudden we see the security guards of our neighborhood screaming by us on their trike. Uh, A trike is a motorcycle that they attach a sidecar to. It's a very common type of uh, public transport over in the Philippines. They go down towards where it happened, and and we weren't going to hang around. So we booked it back home and waited. The next day we went back. And if it was as if someone had surgically sliced down the entire length of this tree a million times so that it was a near-perfect circle of fibers extending from the center of this tree. It was amazing. A few weeks later at school, I slyly asked Mary uh, if she had heard anything crazy (laughs) over break. And she made it seem like no big deal. Like she wasn't even phased by it. I'm pretty sure I had to get suspiciously specific to jog her memory. It didn't impress her like I somehow thought it would. And because of that, I decided she wasn't a good fit for me and called off the pursuit. Now, all that to say, this is how Haman wanted to treat the Jews. Pure extermination, and he's on the fast track to doing it. He's got the king on his side, he's got the king's signet ring, and he's been successful in sending a decree out across all the land that an annihilation of the Jews was set in stone. It's kind of scary what's going on in the world right now and the text that we're in. This brings us to our text. The news comes to Mordecai, and he's in anguish. He tears his clothes, adorns sackcloth and ashes, and he weeps bitterly. Is this payback from Haman? Has he acted alone? No. Satan is involved in this. 
Satan is committed to the destruction of God's people to bring a stop to God's plan of redemption on their behalf. This isn't just about the players in the visible realm. There's a spiritual war waging. Esther hears of the news and of Mordecai's current state and sends servants with with fresh clothes, but Mordecai refuses. He's completely beside himself in agony. Verse 5, Then Esther summoned Hathak from the king's eunuchs, whom the king had appointed to attend her, and commanded him to go to Mordecai to know what this was and why it was. I like the switch made here. Esther's initial reaction was nothing but gracious, right? Nothing but sympathetic towards Mordecai. And, And then Queen Esther tags in. Hathak, go and find out what this was and why it was. Let's get answers. Let's begin working towards solution. You don't see uh, emotional mess Esther unable to cope with the realities of her world. You see grace and business collide. You see Proverbs 31, 25, and 26. Strength and majesty are her clothing. And she smiles at the future. She opens her mouth in wisdom. And the instruction of loving kindness is on her tongue. Ladies, listen up. Our culture wants you to buy into this false idea of empowerment. Where you sleep around, experience the world, and kill your babies. And that somehow makes you strong. Read here and see true feminine strength. Mordecai fills Esther in on everything going on, on Haman's evil plot to exterminate her own people, that he paid the king, her husband, an exorbitant amount of silver to gain favor for this reason alone. Something I want to draw your attention to is the depth of hatred Haman has for the Jews, and specifically for Mordecai. You see, Haman was an Agagite. And to to understand why it's important to know that he was an Agagite, let's go back a little bit. Let's go back almost a thousand years to the exodus from Egypt. The Israelites come out of Egypt around 1445 B.C., and they're attacked in the 17th chapter of Exodus by the Amalekites. The Amalekites were the descendants of Esau, the hairy feller who sold his birthright. Because the Amalekites attacked the Jews, God curses the Amalekites, and God's curse in Deuteronomy 25 says one day they're going to be extinct. The God of Israel pronounces a curse on the Amalekites. Four centuries later, King Saul conquers the Amalekites. You remember the story in 1 Samuel And he captures their king, and his name is Agag, the Amalekite king. Saul was supposed to kill Agag. He didn't do it. He let him live, and Saul incurred the Lord's Lord's displeasure. And for that, and for other things that he did that displeased the Lord, the throne was removed from his family, and the prophet Samuel stepped in. 
And do you remember what the prophet Samuel did with Agag? 1 Samuel 15, he hacked him to pieces. Haman was an Agagite. And though almost a millennium had passed since the curse, and hundreds of years had passed since the hacking of Agag to death, Haman knew his family history. And he knew that it was a Jewish man, a Jewish prophet by the name of Samuel, who had hacked his royal ancestor to pieces. To make it worse, Mordecai is a descendant of Kish. Chapter 2, verse 5. Kish is from the tribe of Benjamin, and Benjamin is the line of Saul. They knew their history. There was deep-seated animosity between the descendants of Saul and the descendants of Agag for obvious reasons. And though nearly 550 years had passed, both Haman the Agagite and Mordecai the Benjamite had not forgotten the tribal feud that was so ancient. Let's bring it back. Mordecai begs Esther to go to the king and plead for the lives of her people. But there's a problem. No one approaches the king without an invitation. Even his own wife, and at this point Esther hadn't even seen the guy for a month. We must remember that the king uh, had many wives and many other women for him to fill his time with. This was normal for Esther and the king to not see each other uh, for this length of time. The punishment for an uninvited visit wasn't a slap on the wrist. The king did not uh, subscribe to the American beta male mantra of happy wife, happy life. He didn't joke about having to sleep on the couch or how uh, if he made her mad, she'd make him clean the gutters to gain access to her good graces. Verse 11 says, he had but one law, that that person be put to death. Esther knew this well and explains this to Mordecai. Uh, And Mordecai comes back with an absolute haymaker. Okay, read with me. Verse 13, do not imagine that you in the king's house can escape any more than all the Jews. You're dying too, honey. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. And you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not reached royalty for such a time as this. Mordecai, in an absolutely gangster move, reminds the queen of the Jewish blood coursing through her veins, which no matter her political affiliation will be the cause of her death if she does nothing. However, regardless of Esther's actions, God will defend and uphold his people. Mordecai is absolutely based in the promises of God, even in the gravest of days. Listen, Esther, God is going to keep the Jews regardless of what you do. Just know that if you do nothing, you're going to die anyways. 
So you're at a bit of an impasse there. And then the infamous verse. And who knows whether you have not reached royalty for such a time as this. Mordecai affirms the divine sovereignty of God. He affirms that God will preserve his people because of his promises. But that doesn't mean you, me, I'm Mordecai, and many Jews won't die because of this. Queen Esther, having soaked all this in, responds. Go. Gather all the Jews who are found in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat, eat, do not drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast in the same way. And thus I will go into the king, which is not according to the law, and get ready. If I perish, I perish. Woo! Esther's one bad mama. I'm going to say it. Now, Esther doesn't mention prayer, but we see here that she asks Mordecai and the Jews in Susa to fast, and she says she and her young women will do the same for three days. Fasting is never without prayer. Esther takes three days to fast and pray and is resolute in the promises of God to her people, even if that means that she has to die. I know we're done with Ruth, but ladies, here's another woman to imitate. And men, let Esther be an example of the type of woman you should be pursuing. Something I see in our culture is this idea of being born for this, for this single purpose. Someone's destiny. Someone's fate. Which is so interesting given the general rejection of intelligent design. <laughs> somehow saying the universe instead of God appeases uh, their intellectual dishonesty enough that they effectively blind themselves to the unbelievable inconsistency they are actively throwing themselves into. I wonder how many of us here have created a Christian version of this way of thinking. My purpose is to be a teacher. My purpose is to be a missionary. My purpose is to be a mom or a dad. And we attribute everything that has happened and is happening to the development of necessary skills for that single purpose. We want to always have some type of magnificent end, a culmination of all things to the big crescendo. Now, what if I told you your purpose up until right now Everything that has happened to you has prepared you, actually, for this moment. And as another moment passes, that moment. And so on and so forth. Folks, tomorrow is not promised. I could get into my car. I could put Alan Jackson, George Strait, Hank Williams Jr., Brooks and Dunn, or any other actual country music on. Turn out onto Willow and get T-boned and be dead. 
And that would be God's good and gracious plan for me. What's my purpose? What's your purpose? Question one in the Westminster Shorter Catechism asks, What is the chief end of man? And woman. The answer. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. How do we glorify him? Let's allow First Chronicles sixteen seventeen through 36 to give us education. Give praise to the Lord, verse 8. Proclaim the greatness of God's name, verse 8. Tell the whole world what God has done, verses 8, 9, 24. Sing to the Lord, verses 9 and 23. Glory or exult in his name, verse 10. Rejoice in him, verse 10. Seek out the Lord and trust in his power, verse 11. Remember all the Lord's mighty deeds, verse 12. Ascribe glory and strength to him because it is his Verses 28 to 29. To ascribe is to think of as belonging, as a quality or characteristic. Thus we regard the Lord as possessing glory and strength. Bring an offering to God. Verses 29. Verse 29. In Asaph's time, the offerings were in accordance with the law of Moses. Today we are to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is our true and proper worship. This is true and proper worship. Worship, I love this one. Worship the Lord. Verse 29. Give thanks to God for his goodness and love. Verse 34. Cry out to God for deliverance. Verse 35. My friend, is this you? Young Christian sitting in this room, is this you? There is nothing in here that says you should live how you want, travel and experience the world, live for your career, live to build wealth, live to become a better person, and so on. Meditate on the truths found in God's word. If your heart is telling you something different, remind it of Jeremiah 17.9. If your parents are telling you something different, call for their repentance. If you think God is telling you something different than what he has expressly revealed in his word, then repent yourself. This world is not about you. Your own life isn't about you. It is about God's glory, full stop. Do we live this way? Later on in in a small group time, there's a question that asks, if we affirm these things, if we affirm the sovereignty of God, would someone else be able to guess that by how we live? The The question is worded differently, so if you come across it, you're like, you're a liar. I am in need of a great Savior. 
but maybe not a lark. Maybe I ousted myself a little too hard on that one. What is our true desire in life? You guys are are college, um, young adults, just beginning a career. The amount of possible idols is insurmountable. College. How many of us, if we looked, have made that an idol? That's my purpose college. And, and folks, don't hear me. I'm not saying, hey, forget that the Lord has told you to work hard at whatever your hand finds to do. I'm not disagreeing with that at all. But man, if we can look at your life, if we can look at my life, and we can see college, career, house, family, white picket fence, red door, golden retriever, And that's it. I am so sad for you. For this world and this life is so, so much more. We are seeing things happen in real time in Israel right now. And and I I don't want to read this into how you feel, but it should shake you up a little bit. Christ is coming, my friends. And he will be here soon. I'm not saying it's going to be in my lifetime or your lifetime, but it's soon. If Paul was in the last minutes, what are we in? And I want to take this opportunity, if you are in here tonight, if you've been brought by a friend, and this is the first time that you've heard anything taught from God's word, my friend, I ask you, to plunge yourself into the depths of God's word. I could sit up here and provide the most intellectual of arguments for you, utilizing all of modern science and all of uh, uh, the most trustworthy dating apparatuses and avenues in which we take. Somehow they're changing year after year. It's crazy. And that would not change your heart. I am incapable of changing your heart. So I beg you tonight, as Scripture calls for you to repent and to believe on the Lord Jesus, that He would save you. And if you don't know what that means, don't just do it. I don't know what it means. I'm going to give it my best shot. Read. Speak to your friend that brought you here tonight. Spend time. Ask them questions about the basics of God's word that he died for you. He sent his son to die for sinners like you and me. The blameless one, the only blameless one who never sinned, died for people who only sin. So that we might have relationship with him. And spend with him eternity forever. 
If that's all you talk about in small groups tonight, praise God. Spend the time. That's quality. Quality, worthwhile time. Let's pray. Father, mighty, powerful, and holy is your name. Our flesh rebels against you. It preaches false things about you. It preaches false things about us. We beg you to heal us, to sanctify us, to comfort us with the soothing balm of your word. May your word be the immovable anchor that even in the toughest of storms chains us to you. Soften our hearts as we go into small groups. Give us a great love for you, your word, and your people. I pray all of these things in the mighty name of King Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining me for this sermon from the Trinity College and Young Adult Ministry. We would love for you to join us in person soon. For up-to-date information, follow our Instagram at trinityc.ya. For information regarding Trinity Community Church, visit trinitycc.com. Until he returns, may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you.